0: Revelation chapter number two, Revelation chapter number two, we are on the fourth letter in the church of Thyatira, chapter two, verse 18, anybody need a lesson, anybody forgot to pick up your lesson tonight, anybody forgot, raise your hand if you need a lesson and we'll make sure to run and get one real quick, anybody need a lesson on this side, raise your hand real high, that's good, keep it up, they're running, they're running, go quickly, go quickly, hold it up high, hold it up high, we got some right here in the middle, There we go. All right. Anybody on this side? Anybody on this side? All right. All right. All that space, all that space in the middle, and y'all want to sit in the back. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) Especially in ones way back there. Amen. I see you back there. All right. All right. All right. We all ready? Say amen. Amen. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, To teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, I desperately need you tonight. I pray that you'll touch us tonight. I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds. And uh, Lord, let us see how close to this we really are. I pray that you will convict us of sin, challenge us to to understand the dreadfulness of sin, the seriousness of sin, and, Lord, the seriousness of tolerating false teaching and false doctrine. God, I pray that you'll help us all. I know there's probably worked hard all day, and most everybody here is wore out. And, Lord, they're here. They're here to study. They're here to learn. They're here to grow. And, God, I pray that you help me to communicate what I've studied. And Lord, bring back to my mind the things that I've read over and over. I pray that your perfect will be done. Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If we can put the the map up, if you will, if you have a chance to put that map up. Uh, This is is where we are are working. This is where we have been teaching. Uh, These are the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor. And uh, we said this was the mail route. This was the mail route. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Uh, keep in mind, I haven't really said this much throughout these these letters, but keep in mind that there were other cities and other churches in these areas, but these were chosen, and, that, and, and for a reason, because of what was happening and what God wanted to teach us about the future. But these here were chosen. Last week we talked about Pergamum, and now we're looking at Thyatira. If you was to see a, a topical map of Thyatira, you'd understand it's really insignificant. I mean, it was really a, a smaller city, uh, probably the smallest of all seven. And in and, 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 and the big scheme of things, it was probably the most insignificant of all seven. But it has the largest letter. It's the largest letter out of all of them. Now... Why, why do you think that is? That's what we're going to deal with a little bit tonight. Here, let me give you a little background before we jump into the outline there. Let me give you a little background of the city and uh, of the church there. Uh, there's not a whole lot known about the church at Thyatira as far as how it got its beginning and how it was started. Uh, some, you know, some, some scholars say it's a, a, it's a possibility that Lydia, uh, how many of y'all remember the, 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 the seller of purple uh, in Philippi, the, who, who Paul won to Christ, really, uh, they said... Uh, that she was the first convert on the European continent uh, of the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's a great possibility that she started and her family was saved, uh, and they could have been instrumental in starting the church there because that's where she was from. And uh, uh, But it, whatever the case may be, it's, it, it's really irrelevant. Uh, some say that it may have just been from his missionary works, Paul's missionary works from the uh, uh, the church of Ephesus. You remember we said that all of Asia has heard the gospel from that the, the, the point of uh, Paul in Ephesus. So we, we see it has a congregation here in this city. Now let's talk about the city. It's, it's built in a plain. It's built in a plain. It was really flat. There was no uh, uh, Acropolis there. Uh, it was a city that was started or founded by one of uh, Alexander the Great's successors. Then it was taken and annexed by the Roman government, and uh, it was under basically the control of the Roman government. It was primarily used to uh, defend Pergamum, to give, uh, it was a a soldier's outpost to uh, defend and help uh, defend Pergamum because Pergamum was a whole lot bigger city and a whole lot more important city. Uh, Because of the disadvantages, uh, uh, excuse me, militarily, it became a great advantage commercially because there was no hindrances, there was no uh, uh, there was no mountain ranges in the way. It was on a major trade route, so it became very commercialized. It became very wealthy that way, and there were many different trade guilds, or we'll use the word unions, trade unions uh, here in this particular city that dealt with leather, uh, that dealt with. Uh, metal works bronze works uh, but one of the most important and the most significant part was the dyeing of wool and and uh, significantly the color purple and so uh, like like we said we tie in uh, Lydia to that she was a seller of purple who was uh, part of uh, the trade guilds there now why is that important to know why is it important to know about these trade guilds because they were affecting they were affecting the lives of the Christians here in Thyatira. Now, let me, let me read this and I'll show you what I'm talking about and then we'll jump into the, we'll jump into the outline. Uh, we see that unlike Pergamum and Smyrna, Thyatira was not an important religious center. The primary god worshipped by the uh, Thyatirans was the Greek sun god Apollo. Nor does it appear that there had been a sizable Jewish population. The pressure that was, they faced uh, for the Christians in Thyatira came from the guilds, from those unions. To hold a job or run a business, it was necessary to be a member, uh, a part of one of these guilds. Each guild, now watch this. Each one of these guilds, each one of these unions had its patron deity in whose honor feasts were held Complete with meat sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality. Christians face the dilemma of attending those feasts or possibly losing their livelihoods. In other words, if you were part of the guild you had to go to the ceremonies and you had to go to the feast. And you remember what we said in Pergamum? That all of life, all of life was connected to their religions. I mean, it was just as everything in the social part of the life was connected to the religious part. So in order to be in the guild, you had to go and be a part of all of the, the, the sexual immorality. I mean, if you want to put it this way, it, it, without being crass or, or gross, they basically had religious orgies and, and sacrificed animals and was part of the, the priests and the priestesses there were basically prostitutes that were used in the worship in these guilds. Now, if you lived in that place, you had to have to be a part of the guild to be able to make a living. And so here we have a church congregation that's in the midst of all of this debauchery and in the midst of all of this wickedness, and they've got to they've make a decision. How, what do we do? How do we how do we operate? Because God's word was is without a doubt clear on what sexual immorality is. Say amen right there. Now, with that being said, knowing that background, knowing the knowing the 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 the, the you know what what the history is there, let's go into the chapter. Let's start reading the verses and deal with the letter itself. Now, don't forget, don't forget, every single letter is addressed by the one and the description given in chapter number 1. If you remember that, say amen. Amen. Every single letter, he he begins with a description of himself. Jesus, the Son of God, is writing the letters to his church, and now he begins to describe. And I need you all to pray for me too. For some reason, I I, I just feel Satan's fighting this, and and he's good at what he does, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Say amen. Amen. How many of you all love me? How many of y'all will pray for me? Pray for me while we're doing this, because I, I, I need to feel God's presence, and, and man, Satan don't want us to hear this. Verse 18, verse 18, it says, unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like unto fine brass. Now, here is a significant thing that I did not see before uh, when, I was, when I was studying over this. Uh, every single letter had a description given in chapter 1, except this one. He changed it. He changed it. He used part of the description, but he changed it. In chapter 1, he, he, the description is given as the son of man. But here, he says the one writing to you is the son of son of God. And it's very significant. Anytime you see a change like that, there is a purpose and there is a reason behind that. Uh, And and what will that be? What will that be? If you want to write notes down, write this down. The description given in this letter, in the the approach and in the address, it revealed his deity. Put that down. It revealed his deity. He was the son of God. Now, why is that significant? Why is that significant? If you will look... In Hebrews chapter number 2, anytime you see the Son of Man, Jesus as described, because He's called the Son of God and He's called the Son of Man in many places, but why is it used, the Son of Man? That is to reveal His humanity. Because He was the Son of God, deity, but He was also the Son of Man, humanity. Say it with me. Amen. Say it again. Amen. Now... Why did he have to become human? Why do we need to understand his humanity? Why is that important? Because you got to understand he became us so he could relate to us. Not, not just so he could pay the penalty. It took a human sin, so a human had to pay the price. That's ultimately. But it was also that he could relate to us. So he could understand us. So he could be a great high priest in heaven who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Let me, let me read a verse. Let me read a verse. It says in Hebrews two seventeen, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful. Now listen, made like unto his brethren. That represents humanity. That's the humanness of Christ. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them or comfort them that are tempted. So when we see... In chapter number 1, the Son of Man being represented and the Son of Man being used, the title, that represents that high priest who can comfort us, who can feel our weaknesses and feel our distresses and, and can go before the Father and know what we're going through so He can comfort us. But in this address to this church, He says, this is the Son of God. There's a difference. Son of Man represents the priest and His his. Uh, 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 his work as a comforter but when you see son of God it's his work as the judge are y'all with me say amen, amen. now watch let me give you the verse John 5 22. look in your notes for the father judgeth no man but hath committed all what amen. judgment unto the son that all men should honor the son even as the they honor the father He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. He is saying, I'm coming as a judge. If you'll remember, if you'll remember in verse 8, look in verse 8, look in verse 8. And the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was and is. Now if you'll remember, that was the persecuted church. They were going through serious, serious trials. They were being killed and martyred for their faith. And as the address is, he's saying, look, I know you're you're being persecuted. I know you're suffering. I know some of you are even dying. But I need you to understand I am he that was dead but am alive forevermore. Don't fear what you're going through because I've been where you are and I can bring you out. Say amen. So the address pertains to what they are dealing with and what they are going through. He is saying, I am your judge. Then he says this, the one with eyes like fire. So we not only see his deity, but we see his discernment. What, is it, what does that mean? Here's the thing. What is what will our works? What, were, what will our works be judged by? Fire. Our works are going to come out wood, hay, and stubble. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's very flammable. When fire hits it, it right? Or, or gold, silver, precious stone which just gets purer with fire. In other words, he said this fire will reveal what's really there. Are y'all with me? What's he saying? He's saying the piercing eyes of fire will look right through and see what's really there. What's really there. In other words, he's a judge. Watch this, guys. He's a judge that you're not going to pull the wool over. A judge tries to decide whether someone's standing before them in the court lying or telling the truth. But he won't have that problem. Now let me give you a verse. Hebrews 4.12 Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his what? In his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What does that mean? That means you're not going to hide nothing from him. Clothes hide our, our blemishes. Are y'all with me? Some better than others. Amen? But that's, that's what it's for. It's to hide. But he said nothing's going to be hid from his eyes. Now watch. 1 Corinthians four three. <clears throat> Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who will bring to the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts and then shall every man have praise of God nothing's going to be hidden from him listen the eyes are like a flame of fire they're piercing they're discerning they're knowing but then he says this his feet are like fine brass this reveals his damnation And obviously, I'm using that for alliteration purposes, but it means condemnation. All right, now where do we get that from? Look in your notes, Revelation 19. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, we know who that is. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written which no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John 1, 1, guys. And the armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, the Word of God, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. Now watch. He Tread. treadeth. Treadeth. What does treadeth mean? Walk about. Tread, tread, right? Walk about. Now watch where he's walking. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Fierceness, wrath of Almighty God. If you know what a winepress is, you've seen the old time, old time that had this big, big, uh, uh, big container, a vat, if you will. They put the grates in here and they, people would get in and stomp it down and tread in it. And, and mash it and squeeze it to the point that the, the, the juice or the blood of the grape would come out. And he's, he's describing the judgment of God. He's describing the judgment of God on unrepentant sinners. And he says that he will tread, he will stomp, he will judge. Are y'all, are y'all getting the picture? And this is his description. Now here, here's what I need you to get. This letter is being read to a real congregation just like you. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting in the congregation on a on a regular Sunday and expecting to whatever whatever you come expecting for and you're sitting in here and 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 the pastor stands and says we've got a word from God. This is what he wants you to know. Dear temple, dear temple, the one, the son of God, with eyes like fire and feet as brass that's burned in a furnace. Can you imagine what they're thinking? Can you imagine the church before uh, 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 Smyrna? Uh, that, that was going through great persecution and, and going through very great difficulty who were suffering and, and, and probably no telling what their, their, their mental state was and said, Hey, dear Smyrna, let me tell you something. I'm he that lives and was dead, but I'm alive forever. Can you imagine how encouraging that is? But here in Thyatira, we have a congregation that's gathered together to hear from God. And they hear the one that's talking to them is coming as a judge. And it don't sound like he's too happy. Are you all with me? Say amen. Listen. We see Jesus. and, And let me say this. Let me say this. There's a ditch on both sides of every road. Are y'all with me? There's a ditch on both sides of every road. And let me explain what I'm saying. Let's, Let's keep reading. I know thy works, verse 19. Verse 19, I know thy works and charity. What's that mean? What's that mean? Love. This is the first time it's mentioned of any of the churches. That this church was a loving church. This church was a loving church. Right now now as we read a while ago he he goes down and I'm, I'm gonna give you them I'm gonna give you them we'll talk about them in just a second but but here we have a church that's that's known for its love but they're tolerating sin all right then over here if we go back to Ephesus we'll find out and we'll read about a church that didn't put up with Jack nothing Zero. They didn't put up with no sin. They tried everything. They tried the prophets, the apostles, everything. They made sure they dealt with sin, but they were lacking in Guess what? They were not putting up with sin, but lacking in love. Ditch. Over here. Over here. Man, we got all kind of love, but we're tolerating sin. Ditch. There's a road in the middle. You don't have to be so, so mean and hateful. But over here, you can't be so loving and tolerant that you put up with anything. Now do you understand what I'm saying? There's a ditch on both sides of the road. We have to have balance, guys. Watch this. I know thy works in charity and service and faith and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Man, this is great. This sounds great. Look look in your notes. We see that his approval. First, he approves of their affection. He approves of their affection. Man, they was a loving church. They was a loving church. When it stands out, when it stands out, you know, it, it, when God happens to mention it first, that's a loving church. Their affection, but then their attention. Their attention. Here's what happens when you love, you serve. You serve. Well, t- t- somebody, let's let's go over, let's go over our, our, our theme or our motto here at church. Loving God, loving others, and you know the people that will serve? The people that will love. You know the people that don't serve are the people that don't love. Because when you truly love someone, you want to serve them. You want to do something for them. You want to be a blessing. In this church, they were willing to to love and they were willing to serve man they were involved they were participating they didn't have to be bribed or begged to do anything and here's the thing why because they love people they love God and they love people and so they were willing to serve are y'all with me say amen. amen man it's quiet tonight help us Lord then we see their assurance write that word down and this is more This is more than an assurance of who God is, faith that way, or a belief. This is faithfulness. In other words, they were were committed. They were faithful. They were faithful. You didn't have to wonder where they was going to be. They were faithful. He said said this in verse number 19. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience. Thy patience. Write this down. They're abiding. They're abiding. Man, they were patient. And here's something significant. The last part. The last part. He said, thy works. Now, he has not said works, right? He didn't use that one already at the top. So why did he say it twice? Well, look what it says after that. I know thy works, and the last, the last what works, to be more than the first. Now, what does that mean? This is what it means. They were abounding. How many of y'all? How many of y'all have seen people come to church, and uh, and man, right in the very beginning, they was on fire. I'm talking about they couldn't do enough for Jesus. Are y'all with me? I mean, was that everything? Was volunteering for anything? Was going real gung ho? And I'm talking about. Well, I'll tell you like this. How many empty seats do y'all see tonight than was the very first night of Revelation? Have you ever heard the phrase, a new broom sweeps clean? Everybody's excited about something new in the beginning, but then you kind of star hot, but cool off. Not this crowd. He's saying, listen, you haven't done nothing but got better. And you're abounding. And and, and your work work and your service now is even more than when you started. Now, I don't know about y'all. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I would like to know that all of our volunteers are wanting to do more now than when they begin. Not quitting on us. Hello? This church. So, man, i tell you what. So far, if we didn't go into the next verse and just stop right here, this is every pastor's dream. But there's a problem. But There's a problem. He's coming as a judge because there's a serious, serious problem. Now, before I go into verse, verse 20, what do we need to learn from that? Looks can be deceiving. Just because a church looks really good from the outside. Just because it has a lot of programs and they're all over the community, feeding the hungry and, and and serving widows and and doing all of these things and and just because they're they're very friendly when you walk in the door and very loving when you walk in the door and man they make you feel welcome when you walk in the door and and even though uh, man there could be some major problems looks can be deceiving what this world what this world looks at as success god may be seriously upset about you all with me say amen. amen now what is that verse 20 verse 20 <clears throat> notwithstanding i have a few things against thee Because thou sufferest, you tolerate, you allow, that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat idols, eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Verse 23. I will kill her children with death. Whew. Now, what in the world is going on? What is happening? Uh... First, we'll have to go figure out who Jezebel is. Most of you know if you've been in church any amount of time, you've studied the Old Testament any amount of time, you understand who Jezebel is. I I don't believe that this particular woman in this particular congregation, her real name was Jezebel. I believe he's approaching and he's addressing her spirit, her behavior, the influence she has. In other words, this is a woman who acts like Jezebel of the Old Testament. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. Now, there's a great possibility. There's a possibility her real name could have been Jezebel, but I don't believe so because nobody named their kids Jezebel after Jezebel. Seen a lot of dogs named that, but no children. Say amen. (laughs) And if yours is, God bless you. I didn't mean nothing by it. Amen. But it's just... I, I don't believe this was her real name. I believe this was Jesus approaching and understanding. So let's go to the Old Testament. We're not going for the sake of time, because clock's already messed up. <clears throat> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there for you to explain this woman. She was a Zidonian princess. Okay, she was a, a, a Zidonian princess who Ahab, which was probably one of the wickedest. Kings that Israel had and the weakest, by the way, he's a little pansy, married this woman. She came and influenced him and manipulated him in the worst kind of way. She was basically, she was basically the power behind the throne. He was the king, but she controlled the king. Are y'all with me? Through manipulation and seduction, she brought in the worship of Baal into Israel. Uh, The Zidonians were Baal worshipers, and she brought in the worship of Baal into all of Israel and and just caused the the worst kind of atrocities and idolatry in Israel. Now, with that, then she went and killed the true prophets of God. Are y'all with me? Say amen. This is the same woman who when Elijah had his competition on Mount Carmel, if you'll remember, and he called fire down from heaven, and then he he killed the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the groves, that was all of hers. That was her private religious group, if you will. That was her priest, and he had him killed. When she got back and see, Elijah's thinking, man, this is great. There's going to be revival. The nation's going to turn back to God. Ahab goes back to the palace and tells Jezebel what happened. He said, I'm going to kill Elijah. Because there's one crazy woman, he ran for his life. She was wicked. Wicked. Here's what the Bible says about it. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. Says, and Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. I mean, he was the worst before, all of them before him didn't add up to what he was. And it came to pass as if that had been a light thing. In other words, that's bad enough, but watch what he does. If it was been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nabat that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshiped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel that were before him. Now watch this. 1 Kings twenty one twenty five says this. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. But watch. Whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. In other words... She was the one behind it all. She was the one manipulating. She was the one pulling the strings. She was the one doing all of this wickedness, pulling and seducing Ahab to do the things he did. It was her that had Naboth, if you'll remember, Naboth had a vineyard beside the palace of the king, and, and Ahab wanted it to, to build a garden of herbs in it, and he wouldn't do it because it was his family's property. And so she had him lied about and stoned and stole his property. And later on, you'll find out, you'll find out that Ahab is killed and the dogs licked his blood. And and when Jehu came to, to bring judgment to Jezebel, they threw her over a wall and she splattered on the ground and he trampled her with the horse's hooves, went in and got something to eat and said, hey, she is a king's daughter. Y'all need to go bury her. They came back out and all they found was a skull, the palms of her hands and her feet. What are you saying? I'm saying this. There is a payday someday. And God will judge wickedness, and God will judge sin. Now, why is that significant? Why is that important? Why are we even hearing about that here in this letter? Because Peter says this in 1 Peter four sixteen. in your notes, it says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? God will judge sin. Now, let's compare that to this woman. <clears throat> Apparently, <clears throat> now how many of y'all remember, how many of y'all, how many of y'all remember what we said about the trade guilds? Y'all forgot already? Y'all remember what I said? That they had their own patron, uh, uh, they had their own little gods for each one of the guilds and they, they had to take part. Now, now these are, these are real Christians. Now, now keep in mind this too, that I, I, it never even dawned on me till, till I, I've been really digging into this and studying this. It's hard to understand. It's hard to understand the atmosphere back then because of what we have now. Because if I started teaching false doctrine, you could just go find another church. Y'all with me? Or if you didn't like this one, you can pick another one. A bunch of them have, amen. Because there's tons of churches everywhere. In each city, there was... And even though they had flaws... It's the only one there. So what we're reading about is people, there were some people going here and being a part of this that really didn't have any other choice. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Because there was only one church. There was only one congregation at that time. So they had to, that's why there was a remnant in every one. Now here's the deal. Apparently, this church, and it's probably, one writer that I read said it was probably about 40 years old it was old enough that this woman had been teaching long enough to have another generation following her. So it had been in existence for about 40 years. And this church was allowing this woman to teach false doctrine. First, she's teaching. That's wrong. She had no business, according to the writings of Timothy, uh, she had no business teaching to begin with. And not only is she shouldn't be teaching, they're allowing that, she's teaching false doctrine. Now, what, what could that be? What could that be? Here's here's a a a probably the most logical suggestion. There was a Gnostic idea. There was a Gnostic idea that matter was evil and only spirit was good, and it led to the idea that sin committed in the body had no connection or effect on one's spirit. This led some, especially the ones John's addressing. To conclude that sin committed in the physical body did not matter. Absolute indulgence and immorality was permissible. One could deny that sin even existed and disregard God's law. But John emphasized the need for obedience to God's law for he defined that true love of God as obedience to his commandments. Now what's the point? What what is she teaching? It says it in verse 20. It says to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. That's sexual sin and to eat the things sacrificed unto the idols. There's a great possibility that this woman who's being allowed to teach in the church is telling people it ain't no big deal. You can stay part of the guilds. Just go do your thing. Hey, God is a loving God. God's a forgiving God. Uh, Sin is not that big a deal. You can commit the fornication. You can commit the sexual sin. Go ahead and eat in the the feast and, and be a part of all of this idolatrous worship. Everything's okay. And the problem is, is there were real servants of God, truly saved people, who were being seduced by that false teaching to go commit the fornication, the sexual sin. Now you say, this sounds an awful lot like Pergamum. Well, here's the difference. I I was thinking that myself. I'm saying, how is this any different than Pergamum? But there's a big difference. In Pergamum, in Pergamum, the true Christians weren't doing the things in the festivals. They were not doing the things in the, in the pagan temples, but they were allowing those that did to come and be a part of the fellowship. Even, they knew they were unconverted, but they just allowed them to be a part of what was going on. Here in Thyatira, the true Christians were actually participating in the pagan rituals committing sexual sin. Do you see the difference? Now watch, watch how this progression works. What is tolerated, what is tolerated in, in the church of Pergamum is being practiced in the church of Thyatira. Are you all with me? I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. How in God's name could a congregation allow such wickedness to take place? How in the world could they allow such false doctrine and, and, and actually commit those sins? Come on, do we really want to go there? Do we really want to go there with how flippant the, the American church is today? Do we really want to go there when we see the divorce rate is the same in the church as it is in the world? When people just say, just drop this and get another one. Just drop this and get another one. I don't like this and I don't like the way she is. I don't like the way he is. Let's just go get another one. When we have sexual sin in church that's not mourned over. And it's not, listen, it's it's not seen as a shame. It's being glorified and it's being congratulated. Babies born out of wedlock and being congratulated. That's sexual sin. See, that's no different than what we're reading here. Where is the sh- and I know I know what you're thinking. Some of y'all are mad at me, and you think, "Listen, I, I don't even want to hear it," because I sat in many living rooms with teenagers that found out, and they cried, and I cried. I said, "We'll get through this together." I'm not heartless. I am for whoever, but we still have to look at sin as sin. Amen. We're allowing the, the mentality of the world to creep into the church. And I know what you're thinking. All sin is the same. Really? Do you really think that when God says, I'm killing you? He didn't say that to Ephesus. He didn't say that to Pergamum. All sin is not the same. We all are, are affected by sin, singular, S-I-N. I had to be forgiven of my Sin. And I, listen, I'm not going to go to hell because of my sin. I've been forgiven of my sin, S-I-N. But there are still consequences to my sins. Let me tell you what's happening in the church today. The same thing that was happening there. They're using grace as a license. And Paul said, can we do that? God forbid What are we going to learn from this? We're going to learn that God will judge sin. Unrepentant, continued sin in a believer. God will judge sin. He says, you're you're tolerating it. here's, here's Here's a way to understand this. You remember what we said? You remember what we said? Over here about the church of Ephesus. They didn't tolerate or put up with no sin. None whatsoever. Man, they dealt with it right away. But they were lacking in. Come on, everybody. Come on. Love. But over here. But over here. Man, they're loving. 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 And they're so loving. They don't want to hurt no feelings. There is no way that they did not know how wrong that was. Well, preacher, you can't say, oh, I can, I can. You say, how, how can I say that? How can I say that? Because when a person is born again, somebody takes up residence. He's the Holy Ghost. And before you can do something stupid, He's telling you, don't do that. And in order to do something ignorant, you you got to on purpose not do what you know He's telling you not to do. I love when people say, Preachers, is this a sin? And I don't even have to ask what. I'll just say, yeah. Because if you have to ask, you're already convicted about it. Here's the thing. Some of you think I'm just being too old-fashioned, too mean, too whatever. Listen, when you can be shacking up, living together in blatant adultery, blatant fornication, and coming here and sit in an atmosphere like this with no issues, no shame in your game, there's a problem. But it happens every week. And you know why? Because we're living in a time. See, some of y'all are so shocked right now. You're, You're having a hard time catching your breath. And you know what that means? That means that I haven't been preaching on it enough. I've been tolerating it. Now don't get me wrong. Anytime I'm made aware of a blatant sin that we we, we deal with, it happens. It's happened in the choir. It's happened in the sign team. And usually people do get mad and don't understand why I have to deal with something. But it's still there. But we're living in a world, and we're living in a time where sin is not dealt with like God wants it dealt with. It is tolerated. It is tolerated in the name. Watch this now. In the name of love. You know what this letter is teaching us, and 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 I hope y'all don't think I'm being arrogant, or I, I'm not. Man, this is burdening me because because we're going to deal with this in a couple weeks on Sunday. God is piling this up. This is not the only time we're going to deal with this. We're going to get the whole Sunday crowd. So y'all better be praying. How many of y'all have ever heard this? All sin is the same. How many of y'all know that's a lie? We'll deal with it. It's being tolerated in the name of love. In other words, these people here in Thyatira was just too nice. They were too nice. He says, You can't do this. You're suffering this woman to teach and to seduce. Why? A little leaven leaveneth the sin is like cancer. If it's not dealt with, it'll spread. That's why Jesus is so concerned about it. Listen. This woman with the spirit of Jezebel who's seducing him. So what does God really have to say about sin? Do you realize the first address he gave to the church is how to deal with sin? In Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. In other words, if you see a brother sinning, you go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 14, As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And ye shall call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth. He judgeth according to every man's work. Past the time, now watch this, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. We're to be in fear and trembling. We're to respect God and reverence God. There should be a holy reverence and fear in our hearts and our lives. Listen, it says in Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world. Say it with me. Be not conformed. Everybody read it. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word conformed means pressed into a mold. Pressed into a mold. In other words, there is material. You've seen seen plastic molds. You'd pour material in it and put pressure to it till it takes the form of whatever the mold is. What he is saying here, the world is trying to press you in a mold. The culture of this world and the things of this world, what you see on TV, what you read in the magazines everything's trying to press you into thinking like the world and acting like the world. But God said, if you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy to God. Love not the things that are in the world, say amen. So how can we keep from being conformed to this world, the philosophies of this world, the activities and the sins of this world? How can we do that? By transforming our minds. But be ye transform don't be conformed but transform transformation happens from the inside out transformation of what your mind as you feed your mind the word of god it begins a process of transformation where you begin to think god thoughts and think godly ways and your mind changes about the things of this world and you can't love god like you need to unless you hate the world And a church that's popular with the world, a church that's famous with the world, a church that the world thinks is great and wonderful, God thinks is horrible. Listen, what's their problem? There was fellowship with sin. There was fellowship with sin. They were tolerating it. They were allowing it. They were suffering it to be. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world. Excuse me, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 6. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Say it with me, verse 17. Wherefore come, wherefore come out from among them and be ye... Sayeth the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Preacher, what does that mean? That means we need to be different. I'm not saying weird. I don't, I don't think you have to be weird to be a good Christian, but you do have to be different. You do have to be distinct. You, you do have to have a way about you in your behavior and your dress. I'm here to tell you, I am sad and brokenhearted by what I see God's women wearing around people not just at Walmart, to God's house. And the behavior of men not being gentlemen, God, we've got to come out from that. We've got to separate ourselves, not to be holier than thou, but give somebody something to look to. My father said when he got saved, he said, I wanted what they had. But if they just had what he was in the bar, why would he want it? Does this make sense? Yeah. I can't tolerate sin. And our eyes are getting used to the dark. You know how you go into a, a dark room. And the longer you sit there, the more accustomed to it you get. And we've we've tolerated stuff so long that it don't bother us anymore. There was fellowship with sin and there was a failure with scripture. There was false doctrine being taught. 1 Timothy 1 3 And I besought thee, this is Paul telling Timothy, I wanted you to stay at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia. Why? That thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and this genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we teach scripture, teach verse by verse, teach God's word, teach sound doctrine? Because where there is no sound doctrine, there is immorality. Why? Because somebody can tell you, hey, it ain't no big deal. I know, I know, you think I'm harping on this too much. But this, this thought, this idea that, that all sin is the same. It has given people a mentality that it don't matter what I do, it's all forgiven anyway. You, you, can't, tell me, you can't tell me that killing someone is the same as stealing a piece of bubble gum. God looked, God looked at the church of Ephesus and said, You don't love me like you used to. That's a sin. But, but over here, this is sexual immorality. And God says, I'm going to kill those that are not repenting of it. You see, there's a difference. And the mentality the sin is no big deal. Listen, I'm forgiven the grace of God. Uh, you know, this, this crazy thought, It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Please. You don't understand the consequences of sin because sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. Once you you cross that line, you're out of control. You're not in charge anymore. Why is doctrine so important? Ephesians 4.14, That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the slight of men, her seduction, her craftiness, her false teaching, self proclaimed teacher. They lie in wait to deceive. First Timothy six three if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Listen, look what it says in verse twenty two. Watch what he said I'm going to do. He said, I gave her space to repent and she wouldn't. Watch what he said I'm going to do. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. Where did she do most of her sinning? In a bed. What is this this reference? This is a reference to, how many of y'all have ever heard the phrase, she made her, now she has to, in other words, the consequences to, that's what he's saying. In other words, this woman is destined for eternal punishment. Now watch. And them that commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. This is, talking about, this is talking about a tribulation, not necessarily the tribulation that we're going to read about here in a few chapters as much as what he's saying, I'm going to deal with, I'm going to, I'm going to bring a judgment upon uh, Christians who are disobeying, who, who their deeds are wrong. In verse 23 He says, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know. I will kill her children with death. In other words, that second generation, she's been doing this long enough that there's a whole other generation of followers. He says, I'm coming to kill them. I'm coming to eradicate this sin out of the church. Why? Why? And all the churches shall know. That I am he that searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So all the churches will know I will judge sin in my church. In the very infant early church, there was a a man and woman by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Y'all, y'all, y'all heard of them. What did God do to them? He killed them. He killed them. So I don't think that's biblical. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, for this cause many are weak. This was, they were they were dis, disrespecting and not reverencing the, the 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 Lord's Supper and communion, and 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 treating that carelessly. And the Bible says, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That means die. It says in first John 5 16, if any man see his brother sin a sin that is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall be give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. It says in Corinthians <clears throat> First Corinthians five. I told you last week the man that was committing adultery, committing fornication, having an affair with a stepmother. Paul said, man, they, the Gentiles don't even act this way. He said, you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. They were, they were tolerating it too. That he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I, verily absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What are you saying? You know, charismatics will say that Baptists believe in eternal security. You can just live any old way and everything's okay. That's not what Baptists believe. Baptists believe in the judgment of God, in the chastening hand of God, the correction of God, the rebuke of God, to the point that if you do not straighten out your ways, God, there is a sin unto death. I believe a person can check out early if they do not repent. What do we we need to take from this lesson? Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big, big deal deal God will judge his church and more specifically you ain't gonna hide nothing from God you can hide it from me and you can hide it from those sitting beside you but you're not gonna hide it from him we need to keep a short account if God is dealing with you about something make it right Say, preacher, I got got something that I I keep falling back into. Get some accountability. Get some help with it. Talk to somebody. Because God will judge his church. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I'm shaking on the inside. We should all take from this a new reverence and a new fear. Godly fear. For the God we serve. And know he wants us to be pure and holy and righteous. And all God's people say it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, please help us to take